Listeners, this recording comes on the back of the unfortunate passing of Nelson Mandela. And being a South African podcast that we are, even a niche one about three and three quarter inch plastic toy soldiers, we can't ignore the loss of a, a great man, a great leader, and a, a father of our nation. So I guess without being too sentimental or too somber, I would just like to say rest in peace, Tata Mandela. You can't say enough about Nelson Mandela. I definitely remember some of the, um, the great moments in his life. And strange enough, they often did, for me at least, link up with G.I. Joe. During the Rugby World Cup, when we won that amazing event, I was at a friend's house, and we were on that day playing with G.I. Joe's. And I remember that day very vividly, playing with the Battle Corps um, and... In the neighborhood, people even just driving past the houses, uh, hooting, just some excitement. And for me, that'll always be linked with my, my joy for G.I. Joe's remembering that day and how amazing that is for us as a country and for Nelson Mandela as a man. Historically, it was such an important moment. He'd just become our democratically elected president, the first of its kind in this nation. And at the beginning of the 1995 Rugby World Cup. I mean, it was the first time we were allowed to take part in the tournament because we'd just been released from international boycotts. So we, we, we entered into this tournament of nations, a nation divided. And by the end of it, the entire nation was united under our team and under our leadership as a new South Africa and as the world champions. G.I. Joburg would like to honor the father of our nation and... I suppose just say goodbye and thank you for everything that he has provided for us, for everything that he is responsible for, for creating a harmonious nation when he could have so easily pushed it the other way. South Africa enjoyed reform from an apartheid uh, minority rule to a fully-fledged democracy without war, without revolution, with a minimum of bloodshed. We live free because of him, yes. So in many respects, Nelson Mandela is the ultimate G.I. Joe. Yeah, yo, yo, Madiba. Yo, yo! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe G.I. Joe is there. This is episode 30 of G.I. Joe Bug. Yay. Yeah, the big three zero. It's taken us quite a while to get to this point, but damn, I'm stoked. Right, uh. <laughs> Paul's still doing his Schwarzenegger routine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I like it. It's, it's just quite good. It's not as good as mine, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what is good tonight, Rob? <laughs> to see your enemies driven before you. <laughs> at least I think that's the line. My goodness. We're already at this point. Oh dear. Oh my goodness. In tonight's episode, we're talking Jeeps. We sure are. We're talking about all of the Jeeps. But specifically, we're talking about our favorite Jeeps. 
Why Jeeps, one might ask? Why are we talking Jeeps? We've surely addressed things like the vamp before. Well, we want to weed out which G.I. Joe Jeep is in fact the finest of the lot. And this is an important thing to discuss for the simple reason that I'd say the Jeeps of the line present the second most fun play pattern you could possibly have with your Joe toys. What would the first most exciting play pattern be? <laughs> well, if something tells me that this is going to sound a lot like Bad Boys and Deep Six and a bathtub and, oh, look, go, because that's not a play pattern I'm familiar with. The more, eh? No, I'm kidding. I think playing with airplanes or helicopters would be Steven's favorite form of uh, playing with toys. Bingo. Bingo. My favorite play pattern would involve loading up a tomahawk with guys and having it swoop around my bedroom. But in lieu of that, loading up a G.I. Joe Jeep with personnel and having it tumble along a grass patch or up a hill, bombing it down a hill, that is the kind of thing that I can never get tired of. How about you guys? I really enjoy playing with any of the vehicle wheeled vehicles. I find that they do provide a certain charm. When I was a kid, I used to drive them on the walls and on my bed, I used to make mountains and, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, they do definitely represent a very cool play pattern. You know, you don't need a lot of imagination for something with wheels. You can just pretty much sit it down and go nuts. Yeah, and they're pretty standard. It kind of feels like that's what real troops would be riding around in. So it kind of feels more real world when you're kind of riding around in that vehicle and you're like, hey, real soldiers would do this. I also find that it's less taxing on you than the whole freaking time. So, you know, there's that. There's always that. So, in our distillation of what we consider to be the finest G.I. Joe Jeeps, we have to, of course, perhaps make some honorable mentions or notable mentions and also give reasons why they were not part of our final consideration. Anyone want to address the battle wagon? The, the um, Well, Rob <laughs> loves it so much, and it's disco color scheme. Disco, disco. Uh, the 80s were, were a nice time. Or was, no, 80s. Disco was 70s. <laughs> disco balls. Uh, dude, that, that's like the freaking rave wagon. I mean, that thing came out in the 90s, okay? People were going out into the desert and Arizona for Burning Man and going really, really nuts and, you know, getting... Read, re- take LSD. And, and the Joes were out there with them. With them, totally, man. They were like, Force. Yeah. yeah, they glow colors, yeah! Rock and roll, awesome. rock and roll is yep. out there with them. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, we're, yeah. we're discounting the battle wagon because it's just a garish, gigantic, colorful hunk of 90s memorabilia. That is a lot cooler to us now than it was back in the day, sadly. Mm, it's quaint, it has its place, and it certainly had a cool action feature, or set of action features. It was motorized, and it had a motorized rotating missile launcher. So, lots of fun, but just not quite on the aesthetic par of the vehicles under consideration tonight. Another notable mention would be the Hammer from 1990. Any opinions on that vehicle, guys? Oh, you mean the giant Humvee? Is it really a giant Humvee? Yes. I think so. I mean, the thing's like the size of the (laughs) Warthog. Yeah, I suppose. 
it slightly overshot the scaling of a Joe scaled Humvee. If you want a Joe scaled Humvee, look no further than World Peacekeepers. World Peacekeepers, yeah, those were really cool and they're scaled just right. And had rubber tires. Rubber tires are always key. Is so essential on a Jeep. And it makes me slightly off edge that perhaps the finest Jeep we could be discussing is in fact not under discussion because it is not G.I. Joe. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. Mm. What, what is peacekeepers this? do a bang-up job of the Humvee. I mean, the forest camo is nice, but particularly the desert camo Humvee, it's just beautiful. And can you believe it? In some supermarkets in South Africa, you can still get them. Although, it has opening and closing doors, transparent plastic used up front, and an opening and closing rear hatch. Also, a turret at the top with a folding turret hatch. I'd say it's very affordable perfection. Definitely. For sure. Yeah, definitely. But also, G.I.J. later did a Humvee as well in three different colors, desert and jungle and even night force colors. Although I've never seen it in real life, so I don't know what the size of it is. It was a very nice vehicle, for sure, but I see the dimensions, the proportions of the World Peacekeepers Humvee were a little bit more spot on. Anyway, we're really beating around the bush. With our notable mentions out of the way, it is time to unveil the four G.I. Joe Jeeps that are under consideration for the top spot as the finest G.I. Joe Jeep ever produced. Starting in very particular order, (laughs) that being chronological, we have 1982's Vamp. I mean, duh. Of course it's got to be on the list. It's the vehicle that started it all. Yeah, and with the most uh, very variance in the entire line. I think probably it's the vehicle with the most variance of all the Giorgio vehicles. It became a Mark II, it became a bunch of Giorgio vehicles, and the Cobra Tiger Force, Cobra stuff as well, the definitely. Attack, four-wheel drive. Yeah. The mold has seen more reuses than we care to bore you with on tonight's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Other notable mentions for that uh, title go for the Striker and the Ferret. Well, I wouldn't class the Striker as a notable mention because guess what? It's also on our list. It's on our list. While you might be able to put a convincing argument forward that the Striker is not in fact a Jeep but more of a buggy and it does not necessarily replace the Vamp, I think it's a fine enough four-wheeled vehicle to make consideration in our list. And I'm going to push very hard for it to take top spot, I must say. Not least of all, because it's the vehicle that I most recently acquired. So, we have the 1982 Vamp, the 1985 Allstriker. Anyone want to complete the list? I think I could mention one. Very good. And I think that one that I'll mention is 1988 Desert Fox 6WD, or 6-wheel drive. 6-wheeled... It's got 6 wheels. Which I think, obviously, some people might argue against. The fact that it has six wheels and not four. Because often, Jeeps... Well, I mean, like, a technical definition of it is a four-wheel drive vehicle. But, I mean, because all of its wheels are driven, it's kind of the same difference as Jeeps. It's difficult to determine exactly what the advantages of six-wheel drive as opposed to four-wheel drive is concerned when you're talking about a light-strike vehicle. Well, I think once we get into the discussion, we'll see that there are advantages to having six wheels that perhaps give it a bit of an edge over everything else under consideration tonight. (laughs) Rob's also betraying his favoritism. Oh, because I chose it. (laughs) And Paul... 
Do you want to round oh. out our Fab Four? <laughs> 2000s, really immaculately, awesomely designed, beautiful vehicle that is so freaking amazing. The Vamp 4x4, I think it's a 2010 release. It, it is. is. But... Yes, it is. Which has since seen quite a few iterations. Definitely. Not least of which having Arashikage stamps on it. <laughs> Ooh, dear. We'll leave that out of this episode. So there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. 1982's Vamp, 1985's Striker. 1988's Desert Fox Six-Wheel Drive, and, rounding out the list, 2010's Vamp. Definitely three three vehicles from the 80s and one from the 21st century. I think for the sake of not confusing the listeners, we'll refer to the Pursuit of Cobra Vamp as the modern Vamp. Yes, mm. let's do that. It'll probably be better. Mm. Great. So, to get the ball rolling, let's look at some statistics, shall we? The sorry. <laughs> the first statistic that I always like to look at when you're regarding a fast attack vehicle like a Jeep is exactly what kind of top speed they can achieve. The trend that you can notice almost immediately from all of the drivers' file cards is that these guys obviously have an aptitude for driving light vehicles at extremely breakneck speeds. So which vehicle can be pushed harder? Which one can you take to the limit? Which one enters the danger zone first? Push it to the limit. Limit. The Ore Striker is a very slight vehicle. It is absolutely minimal in every regard, except the engine that powers it and its fantastic 70mm armament. There's not a great deal to it. Its chassis is essentially just seating for a driver and a gunner and a big-ass engine right behind them. It doesn't have any armor to speak of. It's got a sturdy roll cage and then, of course, a weapon. A weapon of note. I mean, it's the largest bore weapon under consideration tonight. So it is naturally going to be quite fast. Robbie, what's its top speed? Well, naturally, its top speed is 105 miles per hour. That's impressive. That's just under 200 kilometers per hour. Woo! And that's in a on-road environment. Definitely on-road. An off-road, it can hit a max of 60 miles per hour, going over hills and like rough terrain, snakes and dead animals. To its benefit, because of its high power-to-weight ratio, the ore striker, like any typical dune buggy, is best suited to moving over loose terrain, like sand. Mm. Shifting sand and sand dunes. That's where the Striker really shines. Next up, what have we got? The Vamp. The Vamp, uh, its max speed is 140 miles per hour. Whoa! This is quite surprising, I think, because you'd think a small, lightweight vehicle like the Striker would be faster, but apparently not. Even though the Striker has this majorly impressive engine at the back... The powerful engine hidden beneath the front chassis of the uh, the vamp somehow pushes it faster than the speed of light. No, not that fast. But uh, it's definitely faster, which I find interesting. Must be because of that 4.8 litre V12 fuel-injected <laughs> twin-turbo engine. And since the vamp is essentially modelled after Lamborghini's Cheetah, I mean, that's a that's a sports car company putting its muscle behind a four-wheel drive vehicle. 
I guess it's designed to bullet very fast on an on-road environment. No. I was just going to say, I'm also guessing the aerodynamics of something like the Vamp Palpits. Yeah, I mean, the, the curves are very beautiful, you know, and it's not as low to the ground as the Ore Striker, but it definitely has a nice line to it. Almost like a like a seashell. It does have a very You're racy... A it does have a very <laughs> racy profile. Quite low-slung and sloped. I've always had a soft spot for the Vamp's appearance. Mm. I'm sad that the Lamborghini Cheetah didn't actually make it into full production, then again, I guess, you know, with the appearance of the Humvee, its capabilities fell short of what the Humvee could do. And that's what you need for a frontline military vehicle. Whereas the Lamborghini Cheetah, it seemed more suited for civilian use. Mm. It seemed more like a military adaptation was an afterthought. And also Lamborghini Cheetah didn't have a, an incredible celebrity backer like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> And I think was... the United States adopted the Humvee a little bit before Arnold Schwarzenegger started tooling around in one. <laughs> well, here's a, a nice difference between the Striker and the Vamp. The Striker is actually faster off-road, with the Vamp only being able to achieve about 48 miles per hour off-road. Interesting. <clears throat> no doubt the Striker's very function-over-form approach has something to do with that. Moving over loose off-road terrains... Is exactly what the All Striker is designed to do. Yeah, it's, it looks much lighter. It has incredible suspension. It's, it's almost like it's floating above the ground. It's probably much lighter than what the, the Vamp is, despite the fact that it has the biggest gun under consideration tonight. Anything to add to that, Paulie? Well, the thing is, with the All Striker, I mean, one of the distinct advantages that that vehicle would have over, say, the Vamp, the chassis on the Vamp makes it a heavier vehicle than, say, the striker which has been stripped for the main reason so that it goes through dunes and the light terrain. Mm. So I suppose that's one of the reasons. I mean, you, you've got a lower a vehicle with a lot lower armor and it can carry a fewer guys than, say, the Vamp could. Although, mind you, I think they both can carry two, uh, if memory serves. The striker is very purpose-built for a type of terrain. It's not a vehicle that I see going through jungles and things like that much. Mm. So, although its top speed is definitely a factor between the two vehicles, and the off-road top speed is definitely a factor between the two, I feel that the VAMP is actually more impressive in that it's it's pushing that speed and it's still uh, armored. Okay, yeah, it's not carrying the biggest gun, <laughs> but, I mean, it's armored. So mm. There's something very practical about the VAMP's weapon, but I want to get into a discussion about weapons a little bit later. Let's finish off our top speed discussion by engaging with the Desert Fox six-wheel drive. Well, here's the the interesting thing. The Desert Fox, it can travel 150 miles per hour on the roads. It is now officially the fastest on the roads between three of the four that we're discussing tonight. To any of you who are metric listeners, uh, that is over 200 kilometers per hour. That is a very impressive top speed indeed. Those extra wheels definitely do help it get a little bit extra speed going, a little bit of extra traction pushing forward. And if you look at the Desert Fox's front end, if you're to consider that there's a engine under there, mm. I mean, it is one behemoth of an engine. It's a monster. Absolutely. Easily the same size, if not larger, than the All Strikers. I think it's definitely larger, but maybe that's just bias talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now off-road another cool thing about the, the Desert Fox is it matches the Ore Striker off-road 60 miles per hour this thing is a beast it's quite possible that having power 
transmitted over six-wheel drive is of some assistance in keeping that top speed up, even in an off-road environment. I imagine you're getting less likelihood of wheel spin or spin out. Mm. You know, you are able to keep firm traction with with quite loose soil or rocky terrain. Yeah. And I think even though maybe the, the Desert Fox is larger than the Ore Striker, because it has six wheels, it can distribute its weight maybe a bit better. So it kind of, even though it looks heavier, I think it's definitely probably much heavier. Mm, um, it can distribute the weight a bit better, so when it is on the, the loose soil, it's not there's not as much weight on each wheel, so it doesn't sort of you know dig in, in in any of those six wheels going on there. Moving on to our last vehicle into consideration, unfortunately stats for this car are rather scant. Because it's the last to be uh, added to the list, and a very recent vehicle as that, it doesn't have the same kind of literature to support it. Well, the, the interesting thing is that even though the original Vamp was based on the Lamborghini Cheetah, in appearance, the modern Vamp actually looks a lot more like a Lamborghini Cheetah, I think, if you mm. compare pictures. I mean, there's, there's a more stocky front end. So would you advocate that its stats probably... More closely, oh, more closely towards the, the Lamborghini Cheetah. Yeah, that's what I think. Do we, do we have any idea of what those are? I'll look it up. <laughs> I think Stephen's going to maybe have a look for us. <laughs> and while we're uh. waiting for those stats, <laughs> yeah, I think color-wise, the vehicles are all doing a really great job of looking real world and very, very nice. Not I wouldn't say dull colors, but very like muted colors, like more, more army-based colors. Yeah, that's something that those four vehicles have done really well. Um, unless, of course, you take Tiger Sting into consideration, which is just all that awesomeness, but mm. not so much, you know, realis- realism. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the Lamborghini Cheetah, bearing in mind, this was one of the only 301 built, but it clocked in at a top speed of 130 miles per hour. Wow. Though, I'd remind everyone that this is the statistic of a real-life vehicle. A real-world vehicle. What G.I. Joe tended to do was to take current statistics of technology in existence and just push everything a little bit. Tweak it, as Bump it things were. up, like, you know, 20 days into the future kind of thing. 20 days later. So, <laughs> I would say that the modern vamp and the 1982 vamp or in some parity in terms of speed. Comparable, yeah. The so, problem comes in the modern vamp's accompanying armament oof. and armor. The amount of equipment that this thing is, is carrying is definitely going to give it a, a top speed cost. Yeah, no, definitely. Very much so, I think. But at the uh, same time, I mean, like the Desert Fox seems to have a lot of stuff on it, but it seems to still be able to push it to the limit and still go for the, for the gold when it comes to top speed. Although, I, I would imagine if you had to take out that communications array on the Desert Fox, mm-hmm. I keep wanting to just say vamp four-wheel drive all the time because it's so awesome. <laughs> but, it is. Um, but I think if you had to take that communications array out of that vehicle, I'm pretty sure you could get another good 10, maybe 20 miles per hour out of it. Yeah, I reckon so. And maybe even like take off those, um, what I will admit are ridiculous missiles on the uh, the Desert Fox. <laughs> You can probably eke out a little more extra speed from it, too. Ridiculous rockets. <laughs> I mean, they're strapped... Yeah, going off topic slightly. They're strapped right there on, on, on the roll bars. I mean, you're not going to miss anyone when you fire those off. Unless they have some sort of like weird mechanism where they kind of like... 
they launch them away from the vehicle first, off like springs or some sort of like a hydraulic system, then they light. 1988 was definitely well into the, the, the meat of the era of G.I. Joe vehicles, just having missiles strapped mm. to any available piece of real estate. Definitely. I mean, you, you have to look any further than the Sea Ray to see <laughs> how many missiles you can strap to something. To conclude our top speed debate, is it fair to say that the Desert Fox six-wheel drive is coming out on top? Definitely. I think in the, the arena of speed, the Desert Fox wins. Yeah, I mean, that thing is like, like an 18-year-old virgin. I mean, it's, it's really quick to get there, but it, it can't take too much hits, if you know what I mean. Wow. <laughs> I think, I think uh, yeah, whoa. This thing can take hits like, <laughs> <laughs> like a porn star takes loads. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, we'll get to that a bit later when we discuss armor. Now it's time to talk about armament. Wow, that was quick. Not armor, douchebag. Oh, armaments. Ah, armament. Excellent. Mints. Well, quite simply, the Vamp from 1982 has two 50 caliber machine guns mounted in the turret toward the rear of the vehicle. Well, a, a dual. I mean, they can't really work independently, so it's a dual mount. And something very interesting to be noted about the control mechanism of those guns. Mm-hmm. The comic books are not consistent in their depiction of the control mechanism for those guns. Sometimes the vamp is drawn with no one manning them, and sometimes the vamp is drawn with a gunner placed behind them. On the toy, it's quite evident that there's no seat or any kind of position for a gunner to take up. What is quite interesting to note is that in issue, I think it's issue number seven, it's the first two-part issue in the G.I. Joe Marvel Comics A Real American Hero run, Clutch actually demonstrates how he's able to remotely control the guns. And how does that work? Well, he has a little remote. <laughs> <laughs> he controls the little remote. Yes. He has a remote control which, as he's driving, he's able to manipulate the guns, target, and aim. That's I mean, incredible, but it sounds a bit far-fetched. It uh, sounds a bit complex for a driver, and it's no small wonder why Clutch seldom hits anything. Because you, you're driving, and at the same time, is, is it mounted to the steering wheel? Because, I mean, as you're turning left, you're kind of like trying to turn the guns to the... You know, you're turning left, you're turning to the right, so you can keep bead on something. I mean, that must be very difficult. I think it's fair to assume that uh, since Clutch is not a Superman, he, mm. he probably allows his passenger to control the guns yeah he hands over the remote control but that's cool though i mean that's a nice feature of it is that you perhaps don't even have to be in the vehicle to be able to control the guns yes. you could be away from the vehicle you know you, you are under fire people are shooting at you and you can't get out from a space and your vehicle is nicely positioned you can return fire cover fire for yourself and be able to escape the situation perfect segue in fact, the issue that he demonstrates the use of this remote control is an issue where a Cobra firing squad is about to eliminate him and the other G.I. Joes and October God, incidentally, Oof. and Clutch manages to take out the firing squad by remotely controlling his vamp's guns. I think I might have read that issue. I'm so glad you did. That issue myself, yeah, that'd be good. It's a terrific issue, and it's the first two parts of the series, as I was saying. Uh, and quite possibly my favorite mini-arc ever. Wow, that's high praise. Mm. The Vamp also has a, I'd like to say, yes, unorthodox and I, I'd like to say controversial weapon mounted in the hood, which is a 7.62 millimeter 
hood-mounted machine gun. Wow. So kind of like a mini AK-47 mounted on the hood. Yep. Hmm. Which would be more of a driver-controlled weapon because essentially it's fixed forward and will shoot at whatever the driver's pointing the car at. Yeah, and a James Bond. Hmm. I never even knew that existed. Well, it does. It's showcased in the comic book as well. Here's the controversial part about it. It's it's a plastic molding, if uh, memory serves. My tiger sting is uh, on my shelf uh, above me, and I can't see it. Yeah, it is not something that's there, and for me, those kind of guns were quite easily forgotten about. Simply because it wasn't a separate plastic piece. It didn't mm. really pop, necessarily. It's a design element that has come and gone. Some vamps have it. Later uses of the mold omit it. But it has been reintroduced as recently as the 25th anniversary vamp, which is very nice in that it seems to be a nice amalgamation of various details that were used on various vamp, various vamp molds. For instance, it retains the hood-mounted 7.62 machine gun and adds the bedroll and a removable entrenching tool. Which is pretty awesome! Indeed. So the vamp has three machine guns. The ore striker, very simply armed, but very effectively armed. If you want to take out a tank and all you have is an ore striker, your problems are solved. <laughs> With a 70mm cannon mounted on its roof and 10 rounds of ammunition, provided you're able to get into position without being detected, which is something that I think the ore striker is very suited to do, you can be a devastating ambush vehicle. It's definitely a lot of punch for a very small buggy. That's a lot of punch for your buck, definitely. It also has a very plausible targeting system very, by using a range-finding camera mounted at the passenger seat. Whatever you, I suppose, aim the camera at, it will in turn rotate the turret in that direction, and if it fills your target recticle, uh, you will make that target go away. <laughs> But like the um, gunner station on an AH-64, whereby the gunner actually with the helmet uh, can look at a target and the chin gun actually bases that target. So as long as he is looking at the target, they can rain fire on it. And that doesn't necessarily have to be limited to just making eye contact. It can actually be used remotely as well. So I wonder if in G.I. Joe's terms, some of the, the prototype technology for that was designed then, was used then. They tested it with the vamp before putting it in the dragonfly or something. I think there's definitely a correlation there. Absolutely. And to my mind, while I love the idea of the vamp's remote control for its 50 caliber armament, I prefer the plausibility and ease of understanding that the gun camera on the ore striker has. It's a very simple system to understand. And one that, as you say, found use on attack helicopters. Yeah, it's very cool. It's actually something that makes a lot of sense. It's quite intuitive and easy to use and probably deadly accurate. Whereas with a vamp, you're going to have to draw a bead. You're going to have to basically uh, march your shots up to the target before scoring a direct hit. Unless you're very lucky, which is something that I think Clutch tends to be. (laughs) No, I think he definitely does. But he also has the skill to back it up, I suppose. That's why the like finds him. But, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It eliminates the sort of uh, helplessness of the vehicle if um, there's only one driver or if it's an emergency situation, like as noted in G.I. Joe in the comic book, you know, when he uses it to save uh, his comrades. <laughs> so, 
Between the Vamp and the Ore Striker, are we favoring the Ore Striker so far in terms of armament? Mm, I think, I mean, they, they both have different capabilities. I mean, I don't think you can really favor one over the other. They have different functions. They're probably both well deployed together as a team more than individually. Mm, agreed. While the Ore Striker brings heavier punch, mm. the Vamp has a more anti-personnel profile. Yes, while yep. the Desert Fox combines both of those together into one incredible package. <laughs> it is equipped with a 20mm automatic loading anti-aircraft cannon. So it can knock down not only airplanes, but stuff on the ground. Mm. That's impressive. And the cool thing about it, it is mounted on a turret that can revolve, rotate 360 degrees. So you can hit things from behind, you hit things in the front, you're hitting things in the air, you're hitting things on the ground. It's quite impressive. And doesn't require any gimmicks. Yes, It's indeed. so funny that the, the third vehicle, chronologically, has the most rudimentary weapon system. Yeah, but, but the cool thing is that it's an anti-aircraft cannon. And even inside the vehicle itself, they've actually installed a close-range surveillance radar antenna station. So that someone can actually be manning it. And they'll know in advance when there are, there's something in the air, which means they can position themselves correctly. When the time is right, they just shoot something down from the air. So it That's sounds great. to me like these three vehicles are complementary of one another so far. Yeah, It's like if you deploy way. all three at once, you will have a rather devastating array of yeah. weapon options. Definitely. But what I'm trying to say is that Desert Fox combines both of them, so it, it serves the functions of both. And while I have mentioned uh, anti-aircraft and anti-personnel weapons, it's also equipped with two anti-tank missiles. So even though the Ornstriker might be able to take out ten tanks, when is it going to really be deployed into a situation where it's going to encounter ten tanks? I think more realistically, in the real world, you would encounter perhaps two, three tanks. And uh, I, know, I think tanks are typically deployed in rather overwhelming numbers. Mm. When you want to take and hold an area, you're going to have a battalion of tanks. I mean, it's... Mm. That sounds a bit expensive. The, the numbers game aside, yes, certainly. Each desert fox that is deployed can take out two tanks, essentially. Yes, that's very good. But I, I do like your, your suggestion that perhaps they work together nicely as a team. Mm. The desert fox sort of goes, okay, guys, you can join me today. You can help me out a little bit here. Okay. So, in the weaponry stakes, you'd say, now the Desert Fox is reigning supreme. Definitely. I would say in the weapon stakes, it reigns supreme. But there's still at least one more vehicle in consideration tonight. Exactly. The best one. <laughs> <laughs> now, Paul has... He's laid has, down the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> Paul has unveiled his bias. Don't you want to tell us about the best one then, Paul? The benefit that the four-wheel drive vamp has over the original vamp and the All-Striker and even the six-wheel drive, but it's something it has in common with the six-wheel drive, is that it's got a modular weapon system. Mm. So the weaponry is not hard and fast. It's not always going to be the sort of twin cannons or stinger missile launcher complement that the Vamp and Vamp Mark II might have. It can change. It can be whatever it wants to. It can carry a missile pod or rocket pod. It can carry a chain gun uh, or machine gun, uh, maybe even one tough enough to rival that on the Striker. Or it can carry a cannon. You know, not that we've seen it yet, but it can. The original specs for the vehicle out of the box, they don't really specify. And if they do, it's probably some preposterous number. Looking at the toy, I'd say that it's looks probably... like a Vulcan cannon. Yeah, probably a, like an aircraft cannon, like a 20mm. A yeah, they ripped that off, you know, a warthog. 
Yeah, the, the air chin. warthog. The yeah, they the rifted uh, the chin gun of a of a rattler or something. Mm. Or it the... comes out of a F fifteen. Oof, F fifteen. <laughs> no, something. Yeah, no, it's it's something badass like that, you know. And um, the thing is, it supposedly has a laser. Uh, yes. Mounted laser. How do you feel about that? Well, the thing is, considering when it was released, I can kind of believe it a little. I think uh, the idea of having a laser is kind of cool. I never think of it as a laser. What do you I, think I, of it as a spring-loaded weapon? <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately what happens, and I usually take it off. Firing of that. a battering ram in but yellow. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing, you know, it's quite modular, so it's not limited to one type of theater or one kind of operational you know, usage. It's also got very good defensive capabilities in the form of having chaff grenades or anti-personnel grenades on the side. If you notice, it's got those four little cylinders on the back, on the rear. It's got and both are, sides, wow. Yeah, very much like what the Warthog carries, G.I. Joe's Warthog, not the A-10. That's for, you know, crowd control or anti-personnel crowd control. Those can be loaded with, you know, anything from tear gas to nastier stuff. I think that's quite a cool little feature to it. It's got hood mountings for weapons and out of the box. For me, I've, I've always seen it as like a sniper rifle, but it can also be something like a, a machine gun that's uh, been scoped out so that it can be used as a, you know, hood mounted machine gun. And that also is not just forward firing, that can be pivoted left and right. Mm. Aside from an I don't want to consider this an original specification, but currently I have a mortar launcher connected to the side of it. It's the very same mortar launcher that comes with the G.I. Joe Retaliation 7-pack. you sure that's a mortar uh, launcher? Is it not a yeah. T.O.W. missile launcher? Oh, it could be a tow. Uh, the only reason yeah. I say that is, is that not the rocket launcher that was included with Firefly from uh, the Resolute set? Yes. That showcased, that's yeah, it's showcased in the animation as being quite a sophisticated base-mounted uh, missile launcher. It's a very right. nice piece, and attaches quite snugly to the side of the vehicle. I don't think you could fire it from that position, however. So it'd be something that uh, a personnel would have to dismount and wield. Yeah, totally. One of the other um, fascinating armaments to the modern vamp, one of the things that makes it really, really special, is that it's also got cup holders. If you take <laughs> the time to look inside, you'll see it's got a cup holder. Only I'm one. Not actually, yeah, it's got one, but that's one more than every vehicle in GI Joe history. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that in itself is a special feature, and you can shoot a lot better when something else is holding your beer. I mean, water. You oh. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very cool. Uh, now we just need Hasbro to uh, start including little cans of Yojo Cola, <laughs> which would be so cool. Just to add to the armament, and maybe this is for a different part of the show, but it also has a slot to hold the Joe's weapons. You know, in the vehicles, and I, I know that this has no real bearing because we don't really see this in the comic book or anything, but, I mean, they don't have to sit with their guns in their hands. You know, they can kind of be a bit more weapons-free. Hmm. Or weapons-not-free. <laughs> weapons-free, I like that it's an intentional inclusion on the modern vamp to have slots for weapons. Hmm. But it seems to me like each of these vehicles under consideration have logical places to put rifles. With the vintage vamp, there's a nice recess beside the driver and passenger where a rifle can quite happily stand up and be out of the way. In the striker, the foot sills offer a great wide space to put packs of equipment and guns. And the Desert Fox six-wheel drive has got a great amount of space at the foot of the turret. 
Ah. I see that. So, weapons and equipment can go into these vehicles quite comfortably, in spite of their rather slight size. For sure. I think, armaments-wise, I want to give it to the Desert Fox, saying that perhaps the modern vamp is a bit of an overkill, because it can equip almost anything. But I think in a really desperate situation, overkill is really what you want. <laughs> and I think I like the tastefulness of the vamp's weapons, in spite of the fact that they are awesome. I mean, the minigun is just lethal. Mm. Lethal to personnel, lethal to vehicles. Yes. The laser gun... And also tivots up, which is great, which means it can also be an anti-air emplacement. And the modular aspect of the weapon systems mm. is also quite, as I say, tasteful. Whereas yeah. the Desert, Desert Fox... You've got these gigantic garish missiles. Sure, they're potent and something that the modern vamp doesn't have. Mm. But the modern vamp almost wins because of the fact that it doesn't mount gigantic missiles on the sides. Yes, it just mounts uh, spring-loaded lasers. Uh, you can always pop that sucker off and it won't <laughs> look like it's missing something. Yes. Mm. True. I agree with that. Well, of course you do. It's your favorite. <laughs> but i got to say the six-wheel drive is a definite second place i mean yeah let me just go on record as saying i think it makes a great number two <laughs> it's uh, not a very healthy color <laughs> well you are in possession of a very limited green-ish six-wheel drive yeah i've, I've seen that and oh, i was, I I was quite impressed i figured you'd raise that at some point paulie the yes, jungle park paul painted me i think about two years ago now yeah. A custom Desert Fox, and it looks sick. And you know what? I have yet to showcase it on my blog. And I think that's reason enough to get off my ass and do so. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see this uh, beautiful custom job, check out a real South African hero.blogspot.com. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Personal plug. R us. <laughs> so, we've uh, addressed armament, and it's in favor of the vamp. The modern vamp. Modern vamp. Mm. We've addressed speed, and it's in favor of the Desert Fox six-wheel drive. It's time to throw in a little wild card factor here, boys, and somewhat of a subjective one. We're not going to be able to let the, the numbers dictate this category. But which is the funnest of these four vehicles? I think the modern vamp is by far the most fun. And I, I say so because I have had a lot of fun with that vehicle since the day I unboxed it. Putting it together was fun. It was just, it's a great toy. I've put in, I've played with all kinds of scenarios um, with that with that vehicle. I've put in tons of Joes. One of the highlights of my, like, G.I. Joe, if I have to call it a play pattern, is actually choosing a, a, a team that is, like, well-balanced that can all fit in that vehicle. <laughs> and all fit in the vehicle, they most certainly can. Be designed to accommodate the modern-era-style G.I. Joe, it is a very spacious vehicle indeed. Mm. And does something that I wish one of the versions of the Vamp would have done a long time ago. And that's make it a four-seater. Carve up the back of the vintage Vamp and put in two extra seats. Exactly. That's, that's a missed opportunity that the modern era Vamp does not continue to miss. It's got four very comfortable passenger seats. And you can easily get one or even more G.I. Joes into the back area. Yeah, four passenger seats, um, even an extra one in the back. There's five people, not including the driver. Oh, piss you can off. Sit in you know what I mean? <laughs> you put four guys in the cab of the vehicle and 
one or more in the back. It's designed for personnel. Mm. And it's also got a staggering amount of features. I mean, just working my way from front to back, you've got a functioning winch with a thumb wheel to wind it in. You've got modular points that accept all kinds of G.I. Joe weapons and equipment. Really, the possibilities start becoming quite endless. You can put backpacks onto the hood. You can put backpacks onto the side sills. You can put weapons in said ports. There are hard points for you to attach ropes. So you can deploy your vamp through a tomahawk insertion. Yeah. There are an insane (laughs) amount of highly detailed decals with infinitesimal writing, all very well-worded, and the level of suspension of disbelief is very high. And it also does some fun nostalgic nods, like the removable gas cans in the back, Mm -hmm. and the Vamp Mark II Scorpion decal design Uh being implemented on the hood. So it's got a lot going for it. Another feature which is sort of intentional, but sort of not. The fact that it has a spare tire is one thing, but the fact that the spare tire is freely interchangeable with all the other tires is something that gets me a little bit excited. Oh, it brings tears to my eyes. (laughs) I do like that feature a lot. The suspension is a feature that we've seen before. I'd say on the modern Vamp, it's slightly less realistically handled than it is on the Ore Striker. Because, you know, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, I know we haven't gotten to address it just yet, but the Ore Striker's suspension is probably the most ingenuitive and basic design features, which is just sublime in its simplicity. So, yes, it's, the modern vamp is not quite as finessed in its, in its suspension, but it's pretty, pretty darn impressive that they managed to fit that in as well. And it makes for a very cool vehicle when you're actively using it in rough terrain. So, yeah, Paulie... I, I think I've just... Uh, You've sold it for us. Paul doesn't even have to have a chance to talk about it. <laughs> Anything no, you'd like to add, buddy? Toy. Let's not fuck her up. <laughs> one thing I will say, which is a, a sadly a missed opportunity on this iteration of the Vamp, and one that they've corrected later, but... In the Vamp know, Mark II, modern. In keeping... Yes, the, the modern Vamps... Ninja uh, Vamp. Well, yeah. in keeping with its modular design mm-hmm. and all the things that it's got going for it, it's a shame that they didn't, in the initial iteration of this vehicle, include hatches. Hatches? And a slightly more armored-up look. Oh, interesting. Opening yeah. snap-on doors. Like they did with the um, the Mark II of the original Vamp. Yes. Maybe they, it was intentional. It certainly is, and they've, they've since done that. Also but something that I haven't really mentioned or sort of neglected to mention but because I thought about it now when you men- when you mentioned like Snap-on. The uh, modern era did a few retools or not really retools but just um, repackages of the whirlwind cannon and I think there was another cannon that they did but they were exclusives uh, that were meant to come out but they never did. So they were, I think it was Target, Target got the exclusives or whatever. That whirlwind I mean, on that 4x4 vamp, there's actually a tow hook on the back as well, if memory serves. Yes, there is. Oof, there Which is. compatible with a lot of the tow hook, uh, original tow hook style stuff, or at least I'd ra- like to see if it is. I-, I imagine it could be. I'm afraid I have tested said tow hook. Damn. And this is, this is perhaps a, a point that, well, I'm glad you've raised it because this is a little ace in the hole um, that I had prepared. The 
Modern Vamp has a tow hook. The Desert Fox six-wheel drive has a tow hook. Does. And the Vamp, 1982 version, and its subsequent reissues of the mold, has a tow hook. Mm. But only one of these tow hooks actually functions with vintage towable weapon systems. One tow hook to rule them all. And I'm afraid it's the vintage Vamp. Ah, but they all look the same. What, What makes it superior to the rest, even? The modern Vamp and the Desert Fox six-wheel drives tow hooks are token tow hooks at what? best. They look like they should be able to function, but the hook itself is too too close to the body of the vehicle oh. for the the tow bars of oh. the towable weapon systems to fit around. So it doesn't really need the whirlwind. So it's a failure. Yeah, okay, Paul, you're covering your ass now. <laughs> Singing a different tune. Oh, it's really cool because it can tow things like the whirlwind. Oh well. But it doesn't really need to tow things like the whirlwind, so no. so so fuck that. <laughs> well, you know, at least the the original vamp wins in one category, tow hook. Well, let me just go on record as saying I really have fallen in love with the aesthetics of the original vamp. But I know that that's not really part of this section. But I'm just wanted to put it out there. It has got a great aesthetic. And it is very difficult for me to choose between the two, aesthetically, between the two. Because sometimes, like Steve said earlier, it would have been so cool if the original Vamp had been released as a four-seater vehicle. And the thing that makes it tricky is that the modern Vamp has got a lot of the original Vamp's design ideas. So it's kind of a, it's a weird one. But I'd shame, I just wanted to say something nice about the original Vamp. Well, I, I, <laughs> want, to like, say, I want to say something critical about the modern Vamp. Oh, Steven... Okay, is this still all part of the fun category? Have we decided that the modern vamp wins fun? <laughs> I'm going to give it to the modern vamp because you can carry four four guys. Okay, so it's the amount of figures you can carry on a vehicle that makes it fun for you. I think that wins out for me. So it that just means... gives you that many more options. But like, here's, here's a rather objective statistic. I had these four vehicles displayed in front of a member of the fairer sex. Ooh. And she was pottering around, having, uh, you know, inspecting each of them individually. And the bulk of her time was spent on the modern vamp. Okay, so what we're saying is that in the category of will girls like it, the modern vamp wins. Look, take from it what you will. Oh. But the fact that it's someone completely lay to the hobby spent the bulk of her time messing with the modern vamp, checking out its features, interchanging its weapon systems, placing figures inside, placing a greater number of figures inside, and placing their equipment into the various ports, and <laughs> shuffling that stuff around. I mean... Yeah, Placing equipment... <laughs> into ports. That says something about how much fun this vehicle is. I mean, it does what the others do and does it quite handsomely, but it does a little bit extra. And that little bit extra is what pushes it over the top. So, okay, you can say categorically that the modern vamp is a more fun vehicle. Um, But here is the caveat. It is a modern era vehicle. That's the problem with it. It's gigantic. That's why she, that's why your your fairer friend was was attracted to it because it is it you can see it so much easier than the other ones. It's huge. It's really you don't quite have large. Two hands to play with it. I I get it. 
<laughs> no, it's, it's so much easier to notice it compared to the other ones. Like, it's at least, it's like twice, <laughs> oh my god, if you put it next to the the original vamp, it's like they're in two completely different toy lines. Like, well, the one that, hides Rob, the other one. They are from yes, two I know, completely different toy lines. But, uh, yes, that's okay, thanks. But <laughs> what I mean is that mm-hmm. it's just, it's weird. I turn that into an advantage because so far every uh, every and and when I say every I think you 80, mean every every like eighty percent of all of the vehicles released for modern era Joes have been too uh, small packages. Oh, packages, packages of or repackaged or retconned vintage vehicles that have maybe had a little bit of extra space made to fill in the modern era sized toys or whatever you know. But the problem is that they still have, you know, there are still some size differences, as Steve likes to point out from time to time when we refer to the Tomahawk, Eagle Hawk conversations, etc., etc. And it's a fair point to make. The thing about the 4x4 Vamp is it's a completely new vehicle made for a modern line of Joes, and it works really well for them. So I find that that is quite a refreshing thing to have or quite a refreshing feature to have in the line and as much as i love the original vehicles and the classic vehicles it is good to have something that says hi i belong only to the modern era figures Mm. it's Mm. purpose built and therein lies my other criticism of it it does something superbly well but then just falls short in in other regards and what i mean is the quality of the vehicle (laughs) is not consistent i like the plastic used but there's a lot of hollow space the backs of the seats are hollow and unmolded. The fronts of the seats have paint apps and are molded spectacularly well. The insides of the tires are a vast cavernous space. And this is something that you see on the Vamp and something that you see on the Desert Fox. But because the tires aren't monstrously large, you don't tend to notice it as much. Also, I'm not entirely sold on how the underbelly of the vehicle is handled. It just looks clunky and toy-like to have these red bendable struts onto which the the, the wheels attach, thus providing the, the suspension. That was a big complaint about it when it came out, I remember, and then they re-released it in a more darker green, uh, and then it had those, I think those were redone as black, which made them a lot less noticeable and made the to- uh, fun better favor with the uh, Modern Joe fans. Nice. Well, you could just yeah. re- repaint them. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, that's one thing. I personally don't mind the red. I don't. Mm. I, when I read uh, Justin's review on General Joe's on how uh, a lot of people were like not gonna get it because of that red plastic there, I kind of thought, wow, people, you're missing out. <laughs> and that was before I even got the toy. But I think I think you make a good point because. Obviously, that is what hurts its initial sale. Mm. Also, there are elements that, you know, when when Hasbro re-released the Vamp in the 25th anniversary line, they put in transparent, clear plastic in order to denote the headlights and taillights. Whereas it used to be a sticker, now they had a separate plastic piece, and it looks fantastically good. In fact, a layperson might even think that they put actual functioning electronic lights into the vehicle, and of course, sadly, been disappointed when... That wasn't the case. With the modern vamp, they don't have stickers or transparent plastic. It seems like they just omitted it altogether. Mm. I mean, it's a very nicely molded piece of plastic, but 
was it was it a last minute thing? Could they not mold in separate plastic pieces? I mean, it's something that I love on the 25th anniversary version of the Vamp, and it's something that I love especially on the vintage Striker. The fact that there are clear, transparent pieces of plastic that you actually clip into the headlights. Mm. And that's something that you see quite a bit on 1985 vehicles. The Striker has it. The Snowcat has it. The Moray has it. Another thing that I don't like about the modern Vamp, <laughs> just so that I can vent my dirty laundry, mm-hmm. the design of the tow hook kind of points to us being stupid. In the 1980s, children were expected to take a realistically scaled and molded tow hook to do what it should do. Now, they've molded it into this, like, grabbing claw. I mean, effectively, the tow hook's going to be doing the same thing as it would do if it was just a well-sculpted tow hook, akin to the one you get on the Dragonfly and Tomahawk. That's a good-looking tow hook. I'd much rather have a tow hook like that dangling off the front grille of the modern vamp than this gigantic capture claw. Oh, you mean the winch? Claw. Yes. Yes, okay. Gigantic yeah. capture claw winch. It's silly. I mean, the function of a tow hook is to get your vehicle over insurmountable terrain. You spool that sucker out, wrap it around a tree or something. The winch, yeah. And you winch your vehicle up a, a you know an otherwise insurmountable hill or or muddy terrain, or if you're stuck, if the vehicle gets stuck, you're able to free it that way. If they had attached a, as I say, a realistically scaled and tastefully done hook, I would have preferred it a lot more than this, yeah, this medieval weapon of torture. I think jaws, the jaws of life, which are oversized. I'm also agreeing with what you're saying, because it is something I do find a bit monstrous myself, and have at times considered maybe trying to find an alternative to it, but. I think originally when they designed it, they designed it to be a, a more humble sort of winch with claw. I think the sort of executives and the people that have a, a much bigger say at Hasbro to market this toy probably felt that the bigger hook would uh, be more alluring to children. Or more easily understood as to what its purpose is. Yes, yeah, as you mentioned earlier. So, I well, can- as I mentioned earlier, like they just expect kids to be stupid. Yeah. They, they don't give children quite as much credit as they did in the 1980s. And I, I think that's a, a very telling sign of the times. Very much so. And uh, I, I, I know it's not really fair to speak in general terms like this, but I find that children these days tend to be very uh, gr- uh, very good with technology and seem to be very, very technologically minded. And why not? That's the result of being exposed to technology. But I do find that a lot of them aren't as good as kids used to be when it came to building Lego and to figuring out stuff on toys. <laughs> I've noticed this a few times, you know. I think maybe you're falling victim of uh, being one of those kind of guys who, you know, like back in the old days when I was growing up, yeah. we used to play with bits of shrapnel and <laughs> steel wool. Those were our action figures. Hold on, hold on. Is that Rob or Steve? And we, <laughs> and it's Steven. we were better <laughs> for Fantastic. What an awesome voice. Yeah, it's true. No, no, listen, I, I get that. It's the duty of every generation to bemoan the generation that comes afterwards. <laughs> oh, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, we, we're still collecting and playing with G.I. Joes. So we get, to, we get to see the grading of, yeah. like, how toys eventually dumb themselves down from, like, the 12-inch fighting man to Ben 10. 
just for the record, I mean, I was in a, a Reggie's the other day. You know, the total, the new total van is out everywhere. Uh, I like to call it the old total van now. And a mom and dad were like arguing because they were like, oh, this vehicle's not assembled already. And, you know, my son is not old enough to put stuff together. And the woman's like, well, shame, how old is your son? And he's like, he's like 11. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, congratulations on that one. Hmm, that's our next president. <sighs> not everyone's a master model builder at the age of five like you, buddy. Yeah, I know, but I mean, you have to, like, seriously, come now. I mean, you put four wheels on the thing and the back and front parts, woohoo. It's not exactly <laughs> rocket science, you know what I mean? I didn't think Just, there was much assembly required on your modern vamp, <laughs> now was there? No, it was the four wheels and the um, assembly Guns. of the rear turret. There was something else that was quite cool that I remember having to do for it. No, no, no. There wasn't anything too exciting. <laughs> Actual hooks, getting it out of the packaging, that was a challenge. That was exciting. Yeah, man. In the 80s, they just put everything in like dangerous plastic bags. <laughs> threw them in the box, loose. I loved it. It was a Darwinian approach, and I thought it was great. Totally. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, smartest. <laughs> Okay, so we've discussed speed, we've discussed armaments, we've discussed fun factor. Here's the last of our wild card factors, gentlemen. Which do you have the greatest personal affinity for? By now, we've probably formed a very firm opinion on these four vehicles under consideration. And I think we each have our favorites. But perhaps we need to discuss exactly why they are our favorites. What puts them ahead of the others? I've been hearing my voice way too much, so Rob can start on this. I think the Desert Fox is the coolest because I, I bought two for Steven. That's how much I liked it. Was I, it on I, <laughs> Thanks. No. Because they're just so cool. Incidentally, I mean, no, Paul, they were not on discount. Rob bid on and won two separate eBay auctions just so that I could get two Desert Foxes instead of one. It was quite. Bad. Quite an outrageous move, I must say. It's badass. Those are my, my, my eBay days when I would. I was quite a cowboy, you know. I'd be out <laughs> there in the digital wasteland just kind of buying stuff. I was there too once. <laughs> the Desert Fox. I, I like that it, it seems kind of sci fi I mean, the look of it is, is very different from, from anything else that, that we have here. And the, the coloring is, is different. I like that it's more sort of like a brown rather than, than a green. I mean, yeah, the, the modern vamp as well kind of has like a brownie look. And also you can do more with it. I mean, you have the guy sitting at the back. He could be checking out like readings. Um, the turret is quite nice. You can move it around. And it has six wheels. More wheels, the better, I think. Turning front wheels. Yeah, turning front wheels. There's something that always, I wouldn't say bugged me about the Desert Fox, but it's something that struck me quite immediately. It's got this very sloped front profile and sloped underneath as well. And that always reminded me of something, but I couldn't quite place it until I did a little search. And it is quite resemblant of the German Kubelwagen from the Second World War. I know what you're talking about. Manufactured by Volkswagen as an amphibious jeep for the German army. And there's something very vintage and very retro about having such a a sloped bonnet. It has a very 1940s military vehicle styling. And Rob, I wouldn't turn my nose up at that. I think it's a very cool aesthetic fact. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, as I said, I like the look of the vehicle. I thought you were going to say platypus. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Also because, I mean, the the lights are weird. 
I mean, they're not like with the other ones we have, like, either little plastic things on the outside. I mean, the lights in here are kind of recessed. They don't actually even look like lights. I think if you didn't know that there were lights, you wouldn't even think that it had lights in the front. Uh, the, the blueprints would help you out in that regard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, you look at the blueprints and they would say they're, you know, lightning, hood-mounted, high-intensity, off-road headlamps. Five times faster. <laughs> lightning. Awesome. I actually can't really place my finger on why exactly I prefer the Desert Fox. Really. I just I just do. I don't really have much of an argument for making it the best. And also, there's also a reason why it has this sort of weird-shaped hood, at least according to the, uh, to the blueprints. It's supposed to be a ballistically-shaped deflection hood. So if you're shooting at it from the front, the shape of the hood is supposed to deflect the bullets away or armaments or anything away from them. And they are actually, hmm? Which is a common thing in, in, the, in the design of armor. Yeah, definitely. You know, sort of edges edge stuff away. And also, they're very well protected from the front. I mean, if you, you're going head on with this thing, the figures inside are not, well, people who are driving it are not actually going to get hit very easily. So it's very well armored. Except from the sides and rear. But you're seldom going to want to show the enemy your ass when you're in a, a desert fox. Unless you're winning, you know. <laughs> yeah, unless you're winning, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't actually have like a, a really good argument for why I like it the best. It's a personal preference, we can accept that. Yeah, it's so like, for Rob, you know, it's the Desert Fox. Yeah, definitely. I think it's cool, it has six wheels. I think that makes it quite special in a lot yeah, of Yeah, it makes it different, it has a very different look. And the, and the wheels are also very, I find they're very interesting looking. Yeah, very different. The Desert Fox is featured in a very cool advert, which also features the uh, Stella Stiletto and the Warthog. I haven't watched the adverts for the other toys, but it's a very, very cool little advert. Um, and there's a really cool line where they talk about the warthog. It's it's the, it's the guy saying, he's like, Nobody beats G.I. Joe, the G.I. Joe warthog, over the water and in the bog. The warthog fights like a rabid dog. <laughs> <laughs> those, those lyrics, they, I've watched that advert like a couple of times now, and it just, it just, just cracks me up. Ready to attack, that that kind of thing, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because everything, it's like, the whole advert is like, get around, nobody beats G.I. Joe, like, that's the whole thing behind the advert. (laughs) But nobody beats G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe Warthog, over the water and in the fog, the Warthog fights like a rabbit dog, but nobody beats G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Delano comes with pilot, Desert Fox with driver, Warthog with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's a it's, good time for commercials. Yeah, but, very, very cool. Paulie, <clears throat> no-brainer. Modern Vamp. Modern Vamp, and I, I think I've mentioned a lot of why I like it already in the in our subcategories. I think it's also because I bought that vehicle new. I bought it when it came out. I think that in itself gives it something special that I won't have with the other Vamps, or the Striker or the Desert Fox, because I never owned them as a kid. So... Being able to open my own, like, unexplored territory of a toy was pretty cool. And it sort of came at a time when I was very in love with G.I. Joe. I mean, I had just pretty much gotten back into G.I. Joe from a toy point of view. It was just helping me build my modern era collection. I think if, if memory serves, I got it at the same time as the modern hits as well. So I think that's why. It's, it's, got, it's quite a sentimental piece for me. Aside from all of the technical arguments that we've put forward and a lot of the aesthetics of the vehicle, it's also a sentimental thing for me. And that leaves it with me. While I do love 
the elements that the modern vamp brings to the table it's certainly an impressive vehicle it doesn't have the kind of backing of gi joe cannon that perhaps the other three have and and good gi joe cannon vintage comic book gi joe cannon so that removes it from the running essentially if it comes down to the modern vamp or a replica Humvee produced by some third-party generic toy line, I'd take the third-party generic toy line Humvee. When it comes to a genuine G.I. Joe vehicle, I have to go vintage. The Desert Fox is beautiful. Six-wheel drive, turning front wheels, adequate space for troops and equipment. It always held some mystique for me because it's probably the G.I. Joe Jeep that I had the earliest image of. I had an old catalogue with a picture of a desert fox and my mind just soared. It was only photographed from the front and I couldn't quite make out what the setup was in the back but it looked like you could fit a figure on the turret and it was unclear what was behind that turret. It was a surprise when I found out that there was an actual radar station situated there and the fact that you can pop out the turret and make it more of a personnel carrier was something that the other vehicles just don't have. When I talk about the other vehicles, I mean the other vintage vehicles under consideration, just doesn't have. It essentially can be a little flatbed truck. And that's perhaps not an intended use of the Desert Fox, but one that anyone playing with it even marginally would discover. Oh, definitely. Its color scheme is a bit off the wall and a bit off-putting when you look at it with the very realistically colored green of the two that being the Vintage Vamp and the Ore Striker. And the sophistication in its molding and parts use is not quite up to par with something like the Ore Striker. It's a rugged, hardy toy. It's very much in the same vein as the original Vamp. The Ore Striker, however, represents perhaps G.I. Joe's finest moment. It was 1985. The line was in its heyday. They went and gambled everything on the most awesome toy ever created, <laughs> that being the USS Flag aircraft carrier. And the other vehicles of the line and characters weren't slouches either. They went balls to the wall with all their character choices, and a lot of them are spot on and the most enduring characters of the line. But the vehicles themselves had a sophistication that just you don't see in G.I. Joe anymore, you don't see in toys anymore. You weren't being sold a ready-made plastic car you were being sold an accurately scaled model kit that you built from the ground up. And while I never had the experience of building an ore striker right out the box, I mean, I bought one secondhand, possibly even thirdhand, who knows how many people this uh, ore striker has given joy to before it found its way to me. But I am deeply appreciative of all the invested elements. The fact that the wheels are two-part pieces the fact that you press transparent plastic lights into their housings, the fact that the gun camera and the roll cage are connected by a black hose, the fact that the engine cover can be removed, and not only that, but the engine can be taken out. And That's two years, very cool. And two years later, that self-same engine mold was reused with the MCC. And boy, does an all striker look good in the repair bay of the mobile command center. That kind of synergy in the line is something that we have not really seen since. And I don't know if we ever will. G.I. Joe is no longer a vehicle line anymore. 
I guess it's just the, you know, the changing times. We're never going to see something like the USS Flag. But at the same time, we're never going to see a slew of complementary vehicles either. What else is there to say? The leaf spring suspension is so well designed. It handles like a realistic vehicle. And the front steering mechanism is a complex system that, that looks like the real thing. This is not a toy, ladies and gentlemen. This is a model kit. <laughs> And I think therein lies the reason why it's not my favorite. <laughs> wow. Jesus, Sharka, wow. Shit. It's like, what a twist. <laughs> it's a twist. <laughs> the Strike is beautiful, guys, and it has a very important special niche as the G.I. Joe kind of light strike vehicle and reconnaissance vehicle. But when it comes down to Jeeps, nothing can take the Vamp's crown. It's just the most rugged hardy little bastard and a splendid design as well i mean i love the aerodynamic nature of the vamp it's low slung it's got a beautiful slope to it it's just so sublimely designed and so simply designed while the striker has all this stuff going for it a lot of it takes away from its fun as a toy i must say i get a little bit frustrated with having turning front wheels i must say i get a little bit frustrated with having suspension front and back while the front suspension that doesn't have much weight on it functions beautifully the back suspension is almost always sagging and I'm sure there are quick fixes but I don't really want that kind of complexity to my vehicle the vamp does everything it does does everything it needs to do and does it with such simplicity that what can I say it's the perfect Jeep G.I. Joe knocked it right out the park straight off the bat in 1982 boom metaphors and nice. that, I think, concludes G.I. <laughs> Joburg's discussion of Jeeps. Definitely. I guess their personal affinity, it seems no one wins on that. Because it's their personal affinity. Well, one thing we haven't discussed perhaps is drivers. Perhaps who, who has the best driver going on here? Because, I mean, they're do all, all their vehicles come with drivers first? Absolutely. Yeah. They're all cookie-cutter drivers, though, I must say. It Definitely. seems like there's a shorthand when it comes to Jeep drivers. But... We might as well go on to discuss the differences that these drivers have. Mm. And there are some rather distinct differences. Clutch is a shit. (laughs) A womanizer, greaseball mechanic. And he's cool for it, I'm sorry. (laughs) By distinction, Skidmark... The complete opposite. Squeaky clean, straight down the line kind of guy. Yeah, even in his uh, first appearance in the comic books in uh, Marvel number 72... He's, he's constantly he's he's going on about forms. He knows all all the stats. He knows everything he needs to know about, mm. you know, regulations. He crosses the T's and dots the I's. Definitely. So it's mirror images of each other, but both oh. very good drivers. There's not a great deal on Crankcase. He's dependable. He doesn't have any serious character traits that are, are noteworthy. I guess he just kind of gets the job done. Sadly, if you are a follower of the G.I. Joe Marvel Comics issue run, he's one of the guys who got gunned down by the Saw Viper in Trucial Abysma. Oh, great case. So, he, uh, of the drivers under consideration, he is the one no longer with us. You say that, though, because but when I think Striker, I think Dusty and, the, and an Striker. Mm. I've never, ever really thought of Crankcase and the Striker. It's always Probably because been, you're like, influenced by the cartoon which honestly really gave drivers the short shrift. Oh, if you yeah. were a vehicle driver, you got shafted. 
big time. Single carded figures were always the ones operating equipment. I mean, even Ace, who sometimes got showcased in the, the TV show, almost had his, his sole function as a pilot stolen from him by the fact that everyone was flying sky strikers. <laughs> they could all fly them, yeah, and then they could even fly them and then just eject from them and let them uh, fly home. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, thing about the Jeeps, James, is it's not a sophisticated piece of equipment. The drivers of the line can get the most out of them, but in the end, anyone just, yeah. can get behind the wheel of an striker vamp, Desert Fox 6 wheel drive or modern era vamp. So it's not going to sway the argument necessarily in terms of the vehicles, but, I mean, obviously my preference is clutch. No, that's not true. (laughs) From an action figure standpoint, Crankcase is the superior figure. He has a stellar sculpt and very intricate design elements, a gold eagle belt buckle and a small pegasus (laughs) on his right sleeve. He also comes with perhaps my favorite assault rifle ever produced in the line. This gigantic R4, I think it is. But it's a damn cool machine gun. I mean, it's a battle rifle. You bet Crankcase can wield that thing while driving. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, double clutch? Uh, I just assumed that was clutch. That is clutch. That's uh, that's clutch, clutch. And a very unsophisticated norm de plume. Yeah. He won't know who, who I am if I call myself double. He's just clutch. Double a bastard. He's doubly bastardish. He's just double clutch. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's a South African term for when you clear your throat sometimes. It's an Afrikaans term. Not that commonly used anymore. But just saying. I did not anyway, know that. What I was going to mention earlier is. How, how do you say it in Afrikaans? Double clutch. No, you clutch. just say it like, yeah, like, don't double clutch, man. <laughs> That's how you'd say it in Afrikaans. <laughs> um, no points for Skidmark's code name or appearance, I'm afraid. Oh. The, the sculpt is cool, but the orange just throws it, man. Well, the orange is, it, 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 he matches with his vehicle. I think that's quite nice. They kind of matched his coloring of the vehicle. Mm. Obviously, if the orange is a bit turned down, he would be. I think it's a very cool sculpt. Yeah, but the sculpt is excellent. I but yeah, the orange the is a bit garish. But once again, we're in 1988. The rainbow is mm. starting to appear in the line. Special mention goes to Windmill from the <laughs> Skystorm X-wing chopper. <laughs> Definitely mentioned in our in our previous episode, episode 29. Mm. But I'm afraid, folks, my vote uh, is going to have to line up with the vamp as well by by nominating Clutch as the man. He has the most character going for him. He's the most fleshed out in the comic books and he's the most enduring. Perhaps because he's a bit of a bad boy. The other two are very dedicated professionals but are a bit too squeaky clean to have as compelling a character. I mean Clutch was even featured in a one-shot issue of the comic book. Mm. And while it wasn't the best issue, that mm-hmm. just demonstrates how how attractive the character was for a writer to step in and write for him. Incidentally, it wasn't an issue penned by legendary Larry Harmer. It was more of a filler issue. So it seems, listeners, that the team of G.I. Joburg is at a stalemate. Steve's mm-hmm. trying to say is, is that blah, 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 the Strike is amazing, blah, 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 the vamp is endearing. But what he's really trying to say is modern era vamp kicks ass. Well, according to well our categories that we've had, uh, the modern vamp, it came out tops. I mean, we had one, two, three, we had... About five categories. We had speed, armaments, fun, personal affinity, and driver. Well, personal affinity and driver seem, you know, there's that's very much a personal. Very subjective. Yeah. Yes. 
But according to Speed, Armaments, and Fun, Monovam comes out tops, two to one against the uh, the Desert Fox. Boom, baby. But in the end, it's a personal it's a personal choice, I think. Agreed. But this, dear listeners, is when you get involved. <laughs> of the four vehicles under consideration this evening, which is your favorite? Help us cure our deadlock. And if there's a, a Jeep that you think that we've missed out and should have been included, feel free to let us know. You can comment on our Facebook profile, or you can comment on our Podbean page at gijoberg.podbean.com. Yeah, so if, if you really like the split fire or the mud buster, let us know. <laughs> um, if what? You think no that... hammer love? No <laughs> battle wagon. Hey, you never know. You, they could be out there. Uh, what I was going to mention uh, a little earlier uh, as well, just to, to add some spice to this, and it's not to sway the arguments in any direction, it's just uh, it's a fun fact. If you think about it, think about what Steve said earlier about the striker. It's probably the mold used the most. The striker and the vamp are probably the two molds in the line, even in the modern era line, that are used the most. There are so many vamp variants. Um, and there are so many striker variants, especially now in the modern era. There's quite a few. I even think there's a Dino Hunters striker in the be, line. That would be the Desert Fox. Uh, uh, yes, there's a Desert Fox, but I think or that the Eco Force, the Eco Force has the striker. You know, there is something special about the Vamp and striker because of the amount of retools and represses and reuses of that mold, even going as far as, uh, as some of the insane re-releases like the Fun School stuff. But there is something very special about those two vehicles that can't be ignored because they've been with us. They survived the test of time, in a sense. I mean, we've got striker in the modern era. We've had the striker in the sort of middle era. And the same can be said with the Vamp. I mean, the Vamp's pretty much been through the entire G.I. Joe line's lifespan in mm. some iteration or another. I would argue, though, that the striker's finest iteration was its first. Yeah. It's beautiful. The Vamp... Oh saw some very good added sophistication in its 25th anniversary iteration. Agreed. But of the three vintage G.I. Joe vehicles under consideration, I think it might actually be a strength of the Desert Fox six-wheel drive that it hasn't been reused. Yes. It has been, but it twist. It's a twist again. It's special in that it's unique. Yes, like the uh, like the USS flag, they didn't reissue that with different deck parts and uh, things. But yeah, that's just to wrap up just my thoughts on the sort of retools of the vehicles and why that's significant. Why that makes the Desert Fox the best. Not the best. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's just something to add to, to its allure. Why it's so oh. special and why it should win with our listeners. I mean, shame it. The vehicle's got six wheels, which makes it unusual, and it's got a driver named Skidmark. It needs some kind of, you know, support. What? All right, you two, play nicely. <laughs> G.I. Joe Burgers, please enter into the debate either on Facebook or Podbean. Come and find us. Drop us a line. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you hate us. Let us know if you love us. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> this is Stephen. And and Robert. Robert's here too. And this is 30 Years of Paul. <laughs> Signing off our 30th episode. So long. Yo, Joe. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao.
Their mind's a hybrid. It doesn't make that sound. <laughs> <laughs> Electric Durvin.